Well, beloved, we take a short break from our sermon series in Exodus. Uh, so today is a one-off sermon on Romans 1, on the topic of doing spiritual good to one another. And this really is the first talk of the camp. So thank you for coming before you leave for church camp. Uh, this is the first talk in, in our time together. And even if you're not going to the camp, I pray that this uh, verses in Romans will be a blessing to you as well. Uh, this passage is found on page 883 of the Pew Bibles. So if you're referring to the Pew Bibles, it's on page 883. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, do take a copy of the Pew Bible with you home. Uh, we'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word that you can read uh, in your own time. So feel free to take a copy for yourself if you don't already have a Bible. Meet Bill. He joined the church when he became a Christian 10 years ago, and Bill has been regular at church ever since. You know, Bill hardly misses a Sunday. He arrives when the service starts and leaves as soon as the service ends. You know, Bill is a familiar face at church. You know, he, he's been around for a while, but he doesn't really know any of his fellow church members particularly well. Bill comes and goes. He enjoys reading and studying the Bible on his own. You know, but lately, Bill has been wondering if there's more to the Christian life than simply focusing on his own spiritual growth. Now, shouldn't he also get to know others at church? Shouldn't he also care about how the rest of his brothers and sisters are doing? Well, meet Martha. So unlike Bill, Martha is very involved in church activities. You know, besides being regular on Sundays, Martha shows up for all kinds of things during the week. You know, Martha believes it's important for Christians to serve. You know, Martha enjoys getting things done, and Martha is a part of various committees and ministry teams. You know, but even though Martha is so active at church, you know, she realizes that she doesn't really know her church members well. You know, come to think of it, uh, they don't know her particularly well either. You know, Martha has been wondering, like Bill, is there, more, is there more to the Christian life than just being busy at church in this way? You know, Martha has been wondering, you know, what does it really mean to serve? Is it just about being busy with programs and activities? You know, shouldn't the focus be on Christians helping one another to grow in the faith. Well, friends, Bill and Martha may be fictional characters, but I think we can relate to them, can't we? Their stories make us think about why we are together in the church. Why are we here? Why do we gather regularly week in and week out? Are we here just for our own personal benefit? Are we here just because we can grow spiritually? Are we here just to get busy serving in all kinds of programs, ministries, and activities, to kind of use whatever gifts and abilities we have? No, why are we together as a church? Well, the, the New Testament is very clear. Being a part of a local church is not optional for Christians. You know, God doesn't just save us individually, but He joins us with other believers in the church. You know, how then does God want us to do life together? 
You know, we can go to many different passages in scriptures. In the scriptures, you know, one helpful passage is Hebrews 10, uh, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. You know, these verses encourage us to consider, you know, to think, to strategize, to be intentional about how to stir up one another to love and good works. You know, and, and it goes on to say, how do we do that? By not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another. And, and this isn't just the job of leaders of the church, but of all Christians. Hebrews 10 is addressed to all Christians, not just to church leaders. And we all have a part to play in building one another up. You know, and God has gathered us as a church for this purpose, that we might do spiritual good to one another. Basically, a disciple of Jesus disciples other disciples. A disciple of Jesus disciples other disciples. You know, some of us may be intimidated by the idea of discipling someone else. You know, do we need special training? Do we have to be super spiritual, a leader or a super mature Christian? Now, I put it to us that discipling is for all Christians, not just those who are leaders or super spiritual. Now, discipling simply means to deliberately do spiritual good to others by helping them to know and grow in Christ. This is why God's gathered us together as His people. And here in our text, Paul shows us what it looks like to do spiritual good to one another. And let me read from Romans 1, 8, verse 8, verses 8 to 12. Romans 1, verses 8 to 12. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Well, in writing these words to the Romans, uh, Paul has not personally met these Christians in Rome. You know, he did not plant the church in Rome, but he has heard encouraging reports about them. And then Paul, as, as he writes these verses, he, he expresses his desire to visit them on his way to Spain. So he writes them a letter setting forth the gospel he believes and the gospel that he proclaims, hoping that these Roman Christians will partner with him in the work of the gospel. But even more than that, Paul is seeking to do them spiritual good. You know, his example here presents us with a vision for personal ministry. This is how we serve. This is how we are supposed to do life together as God's people. We are to do spiritual good to one another by strengthening one another in Christ. That's really the big idea of these verses. We are to do spiritual good to one another by strengthening one another in Christ. How do we do that? We give thanks for one another. We pray for one another. We meet with one another. And we speak the gospel to one another. And those are the four points of our sermon this morning. So number one, we give thanks for one another. You know, firstly, Paul gives thanks for the believers in Rome. 
doing spiritual good to one another begins by being grateful for what God has done for us and what God is doing in the world. You know, our brothers and sisters in the faith are evidence of how the gospel is going out to the ends of the earth. You know, as we look around, as we see familiar faces, as we see the faces of our brothers and sisters, they are evidence of how the gospel is taking root, of how the gospel is bearing fruit. So it's very natural that we should give thanks as we see one another. You know, I love, the, I love hearing the conversion stories of our new members as they join the church. You know, while the details of each story is different, what they have in common is that every story is a living testimony of God's love, of God's grace, of God's mercy. And surely that is worthy of thanksgiving to God. You notice how Paul thanks God through Jesus Christ because he knows that the fellowship that we enjoy with one another is only possible through what Christ has done, through Jesus Christ. Now, this is not just a gathering of uh, friends. This is not just a social club, but this is a gathering of redeemed sinners through Jesus Christ. God has made us to know Him, you know, but we have all rebelled against Him. You know, we have lived for ourselves, followed our own ways rather than God's ways. And the Bible calls this sin. We have all turned away from God in this way. And our sin separates us from the Holy God and our sin also separates us from one another. Why? Because our sin makes us selfish. Our sin makes us self Centered. Hard to have relationships when we are selfish and self-centered. We deserve God's judgment because of our sins, because of how we've turned away from Him. You know, but God, who is full of grace and mercy, did not give us what our sins deserve. Instead, He gave us His Son. Jesus died on the cross for sinners, bearing the judgment in our place that we might be forgiven if we repent and trust in Him to save us. Jesus rose from the dead to give us new life. He brings us back to God and He joins us in fellowship with one another. You know, this fellowship that we enjoy isn't man-made. You know, we don't create unity. We can't program it. We can't just have lots of activities to bring it about. But unity fundamentally is a gift from God through the gospel. In Christ, we are reconciled to God and we are also reconciled to one another so that though we have many differences, God brings us together as one in Christ. You know, therefore, Paul thanks God for what he has done for these Roman Christians through Jesus Christ. And we are able to do spiritual good to one another only because of what God has first done for us in Christ. Now, we do spiritual good not to earn our salvation, not to merit righteousness, but we do spiritual good as a joyful and obedient response to the grace that we have so freely received from God. You know, this gospel is the engine that propels us Having been so lavishly loved by Christ, how can we not love and serve one another? You know, Paul gives thanks for the Christians in Rome. 
because their faith is proclaimed in all the world. Their lives have been changed by the gospel. Christ's saving work for them has transformed them from the inside out. Before, these Romans lived without God, but now it can be clearly seen that they trust and obey Christ. And news of the Romans' faith has spread. You know, notice how their faith has to be observable for news of their faith to have spread. You know, their faith wasn't a privatized faith that simply where they maybe professed belief but had no change life. No, their, their faith was a living faith that showed itself in love and good works. It was observable. And that's how news of their faith had spread. Oh, friends, a, a changed life, especially how we do relationships with one another, that is evidence of true conversion. I think that's why the Bible talks about love between believers as a key evidence of true conversion. If we say we know Jesus but we do not love the brothers, how do we, then do we really know Jesus? A changed life is the fruit of true conversion. You know, definitely not a perfect or sinless, li- sinless life, but a faithful life characterized by faith, repentance, love, and obedience. And we are saved by faith alone, but genuine saving faith is not alone. It produces the fruit of good works. Even right at the beginning of Romans, Paul talks about the obedience of faith, the obedience that flows out from faith. Friends, do our lives show the evidence of true conversion? Do we love one another? I think one evidence of our love for one another is the fact that we are seeking to do spiritual good to one another. Friends, if we don't see evidence of love for other believers, then I urge you to repent and believe in Jesus. You need Christ. You need Him to change your heart, to fill your heart with the love that only He can give. Beloved, what do we rejoice over and give thanks for? Just think about your prayers this past week. What what gave you most joy? What were you really thankful for? You know, the things that give us the most delight reveal what our hearts treasure. You know, what, what does Paul rejoice in? What does the apostle give thanks for? You notice how the spiritual well-being of other Christians fills Paul with joy and gratitude. This is what he lives for. This is what he does ministry for. It's for the well-being, the spiritual life and growth of others. You know, he he says in in another passage, now we live if you are walking faithfully in Christ. That's how seriously he takes the spiritual well-being of others. Now, beloved, do we share Paul's priorities? Is the spiritual well-being of others the thing that we delight in, that we are most thankful about? Is this where we find our joy? Do we rejoice to see our brothers and sisters walking in the truth? I was just reading uh, John's third letter this morning, and he says, you know, we, we greatly rejoice 
for you are walking in the truth. Is, is, is that the source of our joy? You know, and if, if we flip that around, do we also grieve when our brothers and sisters do not walk in the truth? Is that a matter of prayerful sorrow for us when we see professing believers stray away from Christ? Does it weigh upon us? You know, when we seek one another's spiritual good, we are prioritizing what God prioritizes. Not just our own spiritual good, but the spiritual good of our brothers and sisters. This is how we are meant to live as God's people. I think it's striking how Paul tells these believers that he thanks God for them. And why does he do that? I don't think he's flattering them. He's not praising them. He's not giving them credit, but rather he's giving glory to God. He thanks God for them. And then he tells them that he's thankful for them. Why? To encourage them. You know, we, we don't always notice evidences of grace in our own lives. You know, sometimes because we are in the trenches of our own lives, we, we, we experience struggle, we experience discouragement, we experience difficulties. So we don't always see how God is working in our own lives. And that's when our brothers and sisters around us so helpfully point out evidences of grace in us. And they remind us of what God is doing in and through us. And that's how they encourage us. And this is how Paul is encouraging these believers in Rome as well. He thanks God for them and he tells them that. Now, I pray that we would grow as a church, in a culture, with a culture of gratitude and encouragement. You know, living in Singapore, perhaps we're more accustomed to pointing out faults and flaws. You know, Singaporeans are famously uh, or notoriously known for our culture of complaining. You know, the cup is always half full for us. I think maybe we need to repent of that critical and complaining spirit. Do we notice evidence, evidences of grace in one another? Do we tell one another that we're thankful to God for His work among us? When's the last time we said something like that to another believer? We can learn from Paul, who is always thankful for God's work in his people. You know, for example, we can say to someone, you know, Sister, I, I thank God for how you are trusting Him through suffering. Brother, I thank God for how you sacrificially serve the needs of others. I thank God for how you are fighting sin, turning away from temptation and pursuing holiness. You know, we, we can say that to one another, to spur one another on. And beloved, let us do spiritual good by thanking God for one another. Let, let's practice that so that it comes naturally to us more and more. Number two, we pray for one another. You know, Paul assures the Christians at Rome that he prays for them continually and consistently. You know, sometimes when we tell people that we will pray for them, it can sound like a pious platitude. You know, I'm, I'm especially convicted of this because I don't always follow through on my conviction to pray but not so for Paul. He says under oath that he intercedes for the church in Rome without ceasing and always. You know, in, in this, Paul is, an ex 
Paul is simply following the example of our Lord Jesus, who never fails to intercede for his people. And so we strengthen one another by praying for one another. And then again, we, we tell the other person that we are praying for them. And we give them a call, send them a text, tell them in person that we are praying for them. You know, we do this not because we're expecting anything in return, but we, we, we tell them that we're praying so that they will be encouraged, that others are faithfully interceding on their behalf. So pray for people and, and, don't, keep your and don't keep that private, but tell them that you are praying for them. And I think we've experienced this kind of encouragement as well. When, when someone comes up to us and says, hey, I'm praying for you, it's so heartening, even if we haven't asked that person to pray for us. So I think we can do that for one another, to tell one another that we are praying for them. You know, I pray that our church might be a house of prayer for the nations more and more. You know, one practical thing that we can do is to share prayer requests with one another after the service as we talk with one another. You know, we can talk about what we've heard from God's Word. We can pray that God would plant His truth in our hearts. We can pray for one another in this way. And of course, don't just say, I'll pray for you and then walk away and forget. But perhaps, you know, pray for one another then. then you know, if someone shares a prayer request to you, you know, just stop there and then and say, I'll pray for you right now. You know, I'm sure they'd appreciate that. You know, how encouraging it will be if we go down to level three after the service and we find these small huddles of people just praying for one another after the service. I believe that's something that we can do. Pray for one another. You know, notice how Paul also prays for Christians whom he has not personally met. So we don't just, have, we don't just, need, we don't just pray for those we know, but we can also pray for Christians whom we don't know. You know, not knowing these Christians doesn't hinder Paul from regularly interceding for them. I think Paul's example challenges us to pray bigger prayers that include people beyond our immediate circle of family and friends. I think one Christian put it well, you know, do our prayers ever leave the front door of our house? Or do we just pray for our families, our immediate families? Nothing wrong with praying for our families, but I think we can pray for more than just our families. You know, pray for other members of the church, even though we may not know all of them personally. You know, better yet, strive to get to know them as you pray for them so that you can pray more specifically for their needs. I think one of the very encouraging things we can do is to pray for someone whom we've not met and then go up to them and say, hey, I, I prayed for you this week. And that's a wonderful introduction line. And we pray for Christians in other churches, pray for believers in other parts of the world as well. You notice how in our pastoral prayer every Sunday, uh, the elders who lead in prayer seek to model this for the rest of us. We want to pray for ever-expanding circles of believers, beginning with our church and then other churches and then Christians in the world, in different nations of the world. Our fellow members of GBC, now we've committed to pray for one another as a part of our covenant with one another. One of, our, one of the lines in our covenant says, we will not neglect to pray for ourselves and others. How do we know what to pray for in the life of our church? 
you know, make it a priority to attend our monthly prayer meetings and our quarterly members' meetings. You know, why? Because these are meetings that, tell, you know, that inform us about what's going on in, the life, in our life together. And these meetings equip us to better pray for what's happening in our life as a church. You know, come and hear what's happening. Pray, give thanks to God for His work among us. You know, get plugged into the life of the church so that we can pray more specifically for one another. This is what it means to be a member together of this local church. You know, pray for other members by using the membership directory. We do have a directory with little photographs of people on every page. You, know, you can get a copy from the church office. You know, this is a good way of keeping other members of the church on our hearts and on our minds. You know, but what if we don't know all of them personally? What do we pray for them? You know, we can pray scripture for one another. You know, for example, Paul's prayer in Philippians 1 verses 9 to 11 is a good place to start. You know, Paul says in those verses, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So he gives us really good things to pray for one another. You know, even if we don't know one another, we can pray this. We can pray that we will grow in love, that we will grow in knowledge, that we will grow in righteousness for the glory of God. Now, beloved, praying for one another not only strengthens others, but it is also good for building our love and unity as the body of Christ. You know, it's very hard to dislike someone whom we pray for regularly, isn't it? You know, it's hard to bear a grudge and to remain unforgiving towards someone if we are praying for them regularly. Prayer is good for our love and unity as the body of Christ. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, a Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. And he goes on to say, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. And another Christian writer said it well, you know, don't put people down unless it's down on your prayer list. Number three, meet with one another. You know, Paul's prayer reveals his heart for the Christians in, at Rome. And no, notice what he prays for. Asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you. Now, Paul yearns to be with them in person. You know, the reason why Paul hasn't visited them yet is due to a lack of opportunity, not due to a lack of love. You know, Paul has been busy with gospel work in the eastern region of the Mediterranean. You now, he says in chapter 15 of Romans, since I no longer have any work, any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you. you know, that, that yearning is not just a temporary thing, but for many years, Paul has longed to see them face to face. So he says, since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing 
as I go to Spain and, be, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. I don't know what your experience of the, the recent pandemic was like, but for me, the pandemic was a sober reminder not to take gatherings like this for granted. Now, I remember when I was preaching to an empty room, right, just facing a camera. Not very fun. You know, brothers and sisters, we need to, we need to bear in mind that it may not always be possible for us to meet in this way. You know, don't take our gatherings for granted. You know, I, I think that's what Paul is saying in his prayer. I, I long to see you. I, I wish and pray for opportunity to see you. It may not always be possible to meet with one another. So we should cherish the opportunities we have to come together. You know, be deliberate about moving towards one another in love and service. And we can do this by just asking two simple questions. When we see one another on Sunday, just ask one another two questions, right? How are you doing? And don't be content with just a quick platitude like, I'm fine, right? Ask them, really, how are you doing, really? And then ask them, how can I pray for you? Just these two simple questions. How are you doing? How can I pray for you? Don't leave immediately after the service, but stick around. Stay, talk with one another, especially someone unfamiliar whom you have not met. Make plans to meet up during the week, get together with a fellow church member to read the Bible or a, or a Christian book together. You know, share thanksgivings, share encouragements, share burdens, share prayers. I think all this is to say that we're not meant to live the Christian life on our own. I think this is why God has gathered us as His people, not just for our own spiritual benefit, but for the building up of other brothers and sisters in Christ. Cutting ourselves off or, or keeping community at arm's length is harmful to our spiritual health. Uh, there's a verse in Proverbs 18, Proverbs 18 verse 1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. You know, oftentimes, when, when, you know, in, in just pastorally, in my experience, oftentimes when a Christian stops attending church regularly, uh, the problem is not church attendance. The problem is often deeper than that. There's often a pastoral struggle that's going on. There may be sin in this person's life that, that moves them to stop attending regularly. Right, so I pray that we will not do that. Even as we struggle with temptations and trials, I pray that we will keep coming because this gathering is where we find encouragement and help in our time of need. You know, God is relational. He delights to draw near to His people. And as God's children, we are meant to reflect the character of our Heavenly Father by drawing near to one another in love. Technology such as video calls or live streams cannot replace the physical gathering of God's people. I think it's interesting that even those in the secular world recognize this. You know, 10 years ago, you know, more than 10 years ago, MIT professor Sherry Turkle, 
I'm not sure if she's a Christian, I don't think she is, but she warned about how technology was warping our relationships with one another, and this was 10 years ago. What would she say now? Now, she says in her book, Alone Together, and I quote, digital connections may offer the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. Now, it's easy to watch a live stream and think that we've met, but we haven't really. You know, beware of wanting the convenience of connection without the cost of commitment. Now, consider this. Our Savior did not save us from a distance. He came in the flesh. Incarnational, embodied presence matters. Now, you sitting in the pew here on a Sunday matters, not just for your own soul, but for the encouragement of those around you. We meet with one another. And that's why it's not enough for Paul to simply write a really long letter to the Romans. What does he really want to do? He wants to see them face to face. Do we share Paul's heart for one another? Likewise, the Apostle John says in 2 John, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. Maybe we lack joy, beloved, because we don't see one another as often as we should. Simply showing up encourages others. So meet with one another to strengthen one another. And I pray that more and more of us will be contributors and not consumers. Start by joining the church. If if you've been coming regularly but you're not a member of the church, can I encourage you to join the church? It's a wonderful way of making yourself known to other believers in this church so that we can also make ourselves known to you and care for you. Becoming a member of a local church is how we commit to doing spiritual good to other Christians. Becoming a member of a church is good for our sanctification. It helps us to fight the sins of selfish individualism that's so rampant in the culture today. It helps us to fight the sin of self-centered isolation. Members of GBC, it is vital that we gather regularly. We have covenanted with one another to do so. It says in our covenant, we rejoice with those who rejoice, we weep with those who weep, bearing each other's burdens with tenderness and compassion. We are to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, to watch over, pray for, patiently bear with, forgive, encourage, and admonish one another with love, humility, and gentleness. And to be blunt, we can't do any of this if we don't show up. We meet with one another to do these things. Number four, we speak the gospel to one another. Why is Paul so eager to see the Christians in Rome? He says in verse 11, it's so that he may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen them. Besides giving thanks and praying for them, Paul longs to meet with them for the purpose of building them up. Now, what does Paul mean by spiritual gift? What could he be referring to? as he mentions spiritual gift. I think it's helpful to look at the surrounding context in the letter of Romans. You know, in the surrounding verses, Paul describes his ministry 
as centered on the gospel. Right? He says in verse 9 that he serves God in the gospel of his son. And if you look down a couple of verses to verse 15, Paul says that he is eager to preach the gospel to those who are in Rome. And what's more, if, if you look at the closing doxology of Romans, uh, Paul mentions something quite similar. Right? He says in chapter 16, verse 25, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, similar language there, he, him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. So you put all that together, I think in the context, the spiritual gift that Paul is referring to is the preaching and teaching of the gospel. That's how he hopes to do spiritual good to these believers in Rome. And we do spiritual good to others by strengthening them in the truths of the gospel. How? By lovingly speaking the truth to them. And the gospel strengthens because it is the power of God for salvation. You know, our, our salvation in its richest and fullest sense encompasses our past, our present, and our future. You know, it, it encompasses our past. You know, we have been saved. We have been justified, past tense. We are declared right with God through faith alone in Christ alone. But our salvation also encompasses our present. We are being saved. We are being sanctified. We are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next as we grow to become more and more like Jesus. Our salvation also encompasses our future. We shall be saved. When Jesus returns, we shall be perfected and glorified with Him. The gospel is God's power to save from start to finish. We begin and end with Christ. You know, therefore, we still need the gospel today. Even if, you are, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you still need the gospel because we are being saved and we shall be saved. The gospel isn't just for non-Christians or for new Christians, but for all Christians. You know, Tim Keller, who passed away last week, famously said, the gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z, or Z, if you prefer, of Christianity. Now, whether we've been a Christian for six days or 60 years, you know, we all need this same gospel to sustain and strengthen us until Jesus returns and brings us home. And that's why we need to speak gospel truth to one another. And that's why we need to remind one another of what Christ is doing in our lives and what He will do when He returns for us. You know, for those of us who are going to the church camp, at the camp we will be learning how to apply the gospel to various areas of life, you know, in our one-to-one -one discipling, in peacemaking, in conflict, in hospitality, in singleness, in dating, marriage, in, in parenting, as well as in our golden years. So if you're not able to attend the camp, you know, find someone who's going and ask them to tell you more. That's all I can say. You know, we, we speak gospel encouragement to one another because it's tough living in the fallen world. We face many dangers, toils, and snares. We wrestle with all kinds of temptations and trials, as well as with disappointment, discouragement, depression. 
you know, amid our struggles with sin and suffering, you know, we need to remind one another of the forgiveness, the peace, the joy, and the hope we have in Christ. We remind one another of His unwavering faithfulness to us, of His steadfast love, of His enduring grace for His people. And we strengthen one another by speaking these truths to one another. And we, and we don't need to have it all together before we encourage others. Now, beloved, God is pleased to use the broken and the weak to show that the power belongs to Him and not to us. We have the treasure of the gospel in jars of clay. And in fact, we are best placed to encourage others when we first grasp our own need for God's grace. Encouragement is not one-sided. It flows in both directions. You know, notice what Paul says in verse 12. Even as Paul seeks to strengthen the church in Rome, he very quickly assures them that he also expects to be strengthened by them. Verse 12, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. You know, Paul may be an apostle, but that doesn't mean that he's simply giving and not receiving encouragement. You know, Paul isn't too proud to acknowledge how he is helped by others. You know, when we do spiritual good to others, we are also strengthened by them. Encouragement is mutual. Beloved, disciple one another and help one another to mature in Christ-likeness. Pray with one another. Share life together. Our joys, our sorrows, our burdens, our encouragements, our discouragements. Read the Bible with one another. You know, these kinds of discipling relationships require an investment of our time and energy, but they are worthwhile for our joy. And they are worthwhile because Christ is so much better than our comfort and convenience. Beloved, don't deprive ourselves of the joy that comes from seeing our brothers and sisters grow in Christ. I think that's the, the upside-down gospel logic of joy. Oftentimes, when we think about joy, maybe we're thinking about how I can have more joy for myself. But the Bible says our joy is predominantly found in seeing others grow in the faith. And the more we pour ourselves out, for the spiritual good of others, the more joy we will receive. Will we trust God with that? Have we, like Bill, kept the church at arm's length? Or have we, like Martha, been so preoccupied with activities that we have little time for spiritual friendships? You know, beloved, I pray that every one of us will lean in, will lean into the church, and seek to do spiritual good to one another. This is why God has gathered us as His people. Know and be known by others in the church, and let's disciple one another towards Christ. Now, this is how our life together as a church can display the glory and goodness of God. You know, discipling is not just a program. Discipling one another is the life of God's people, because this is how we show a watching world that we love one another 
that we desire good for one another. This is how we reflect the love of Christ to a watching world. You know, God received praise and thanksgiving because the faith of the Roman Christians was proclaimed in all the world. Doing spiritual good to one another glorifies God and testifies to the transforming power of His gospel. Doing spiritual good to one another edifies the saints, it evangelizes outsiders, and it exalts Christ. My beloved, how shall we do spiritual good to one another? Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you and praise you for the gospel. We thank you for how you've gathered us as your people, that we may live life together, encouraging one another to grow in Christ. Father, we pray that you would help us to repent of any selfishness or individualism that we may harbor in our hearts. Father, may we not treat our Christian life as a private thing, but help us to pour ourselves out for one another's good. Help us to know one another, to commit to also being known by others. We pray that you would strengthen us together as your people. Press these truths upon our hearts. We pray for fruit and encouragement for those of us who are going to the camp. We pray that you would take these truths and continue to grow us together in love and in good works. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.